Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-Getters features straight-up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Go-Getters podcast. I'm Joe Buck, Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations. I'm here today with Kathy Engelbert, class of 1986, and currently the commissioner of the WNBA. Kathy was also with Deloitte for more than 30 years, where she rose to the position of CEO. She was notably the first female CEO of one of the big four accounting firms. Kathy delivered Lehigh's commencement address to the class of 2018, and she regularly returns to campus and recently participated in our Soaring Together panel, part of Lehigh's celebration of 50 years of co-education. Kathy is also a Lehigh parent, with her son, Thomas, in the class of 2023. Kathy, welcome to Go-Getters. Joe, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, Kathy, I want go, go, uh, to go to the Wayback Machine, if we can, to start. Uh, I've come to, to understand that you are from a big family, and I'm curious, how, how did that experience shape your mindset? Yeah, so I was one of eight children, and I have five brothers, and I'd say the brothers shaped my mindset more than anything. We grew up in a, a very humble town called Collingswood, New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia, and I played three sports at Collingswood, and my five brothers, I had three older, so I was always the fourth in the backyard playing basketball or street hockey or wiffle ball or soccer, and so, um, and my father worked three jobs. My mom worked as well. She just retired a few years ago after 62 years at the same employer. Um, she was an office manager for a large pediatric practice. So, you know, but they were always there cheering games. And um, my father was actually drafted into the NBA in 1957. He played for Jack Ramsey, Naismith Hall of Fame coach uh, that went on to great success at Portland. Um, and so, and he passed away young, my father. He died in when I was just a year out of Lehigh, so in 1987. So, you know, I saw like how my mother had to step up and, you know, so all of those shaped me, I guess. I never knew what my path was back then, but, you know, all of that shaped me. You, you forgot to mention uh, Jack Ramsey's influence at my alma mater, St. Joe's. Uh, so I have, right. to, I have to stop there. And uh, I always remind folks that I, I wasn't smart enough to get into Lehigh. So I went to St. Joe's, had a great experience <laughs> there. But Jack Ramsey had great influence. Yes, the um, hawk will never die, thank, right? Thank you, <laughs> thank you Kathy. I, I appreciate that. Um, so, so how did you find your way from Collingswood to Lehigh? Well, um, I was actually recruit, being recruited for lacrosse um, okay. by Lehigh and a variety of other schools, not basketball. And so um, so Lehigh, literally a um, woman the year uh, before me had graduated from college. We went on to play both, I think, field hockey and lacrosse at Lehigh. And I had just heard of its reputation. And I was the fifth of eight kids and the first four went to Villanova. So I was under a ton of pressure to go to Villanova, but Lehigh had one big advantage over Villanova. It did Lehigh, at the, I mean, Villanova at the time did not have a division one lacrosse team. And maybe they were probably a little better in basketball than, than I was uh, for as a recruit. So, um, so it all worked out. And uh, I obviously walked on to the basketball team. And now with, you know, Naismith Hall of Fame coach Muffet McGraw, who was our, her first head coaching job, she showed up in 
think I guess it was August of 1982 to Bethlehem, her first head coaching job, another St. Joe's grad. She played for St. Joe's University in Philadelphia and Muffet. I mean, tell us the story, Joe, now that um, now that I'm the commissioner of the WNBA, she said, I almost cut Kathy her freshman year when I walked on. Uh, and thank God she didn't, because I probably wouldn't be the commissioner today if Muffet had, had cut me way back then. I think I think tryouts were not even in Grace Hall. I think they were in Taylor Gym back then. <laughs> so I, I know um, from getting to know you, Kathy, that role models and, and mentoring are important to you. Could you talk a little bit about the mentors that you found at Lehigh, uh, both in athletics and perhaps in the classroom or in your student experience? Well, yeah, and I've been reflecting a lot on that after, you know, two big leadership roles at Deloitte now here at the WNBA of how much you don't know it at the time, but how much those not just role models, but those mentors and sponsors like I'm a big fan of saying like mentors are really important to helping you with different opportunities that you're going to say yes or no to. Um, but also sponsors, someone who has the power, who's sitting in the room in sports, the analogy is the coach who's going to decide your playing time, but you might be mentored by an assistant coach or someone even outside the basketball ecosystem. And, and, um, and I, I was a big beneficiary of both at Lehigh, where I think coaches just generally become your sponsors and some of them your mentors. Uh, but in the working world, I mean, you definitely have mentors who are different from sponsors because usually friends and have a good relationship with the mentors, but the sponsors are again the people who have the power to decide your career and to decide how you're how you're going to advance and have you on their radar and they're pounding the desk behind the scenes to say get Kathy this experience she needs to run a PL, she needs to be on a big client or whatever it is so um, so very different but I had obviously you know Coach McGraw now at Lehigh and Lacrosse I had like three different coaches in four years so I can't say any one of them but you know we we had a great team my junior year I think we were ranked like in the top 25 we went to the NCAA tournament and obviously Muffet you know Coach McGraw my senior year we were 24 and four uh, we almost beat St Joe's who was a powerhouse back then and ranked in the top 20 but we uh, we fell short. Um, but, you know, just huge, I think, coaching back then. And for me, because I knew that I needed to have a job when I graduated, you know, I had a lot of mentorship in academics, um, you know, the business school at Lehigh, the accounting school. Once I picked accounting, I actually started in computer science and then quickly switched to business my sophomore year. And it was probably the best decision for me because I had really good mentors who told me, you know, there's this thing called the business school and there's this thing called accounting and there's this thing called the big eight. And you'll get a job. And I said, that sounds good to me. That's what I'm going to do. And 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 you did at Deloitte, uh, where, where you spent uh, 33 years, I believe. Is that right? Right. From the moment I graduated from Lehigh. And that was the best thing. The Lehigh placement office was so important um, to me getting a job. Um and I had several offers. I was always so impressed with that, you know, because subsequently, like, you know, I've had friends who have kids who don't have a job coming out of college. And I had multiple offers. So it was such a great mentorship to pick the, the profession I picked. And then obviously Lehigh had such a great reputation uh, amongst um, employers that people wanted to hire Lehigh graduates. And they still do. I mean, it is one of the, the, the outcomes uh, that, that we generate or that the students themselves generate is something that, uh, that, that we've, we've been at the kind of right tail, uh, a, a leader Sometime, I think over if you took the average over the last decade, I think we're at 95, 96% of our students six months out, you know, being in a place where they want to be, right? Employed, graduate school, some type of, you know, volunteer service, but, but you know, single digits still seeking 
six months after uh, after graduation. And that's yeah, and a quick story, yeah. Joe. Like for for me, I came to Lehigh really, really shy. Um, believe it or not, <laughs> I was really shy. But I was an athlete, and I was not socially. I didn't go out. At, we had seven brothers and sisters, so that's who I hung out with. So came to Lehigh. And I, I think, you know, a story like when I was hired by Deloitte, like years later, not because they ever thought I was going to be the CEO, but they said the differentiator about me was Lehigh. They said, like, Lehigh produces this well-rounded employee, employee, you know, who kind of thrives in our profession. And for me, being so shy, arriving on campus and and by the way, I arrived in 1982 when there were only, I think I was the 10th class to have women at Lehigh. So, and what that well-roundedness meant to me was like athletically, academically, and socially. So it was kind of a trifecta for me. And so I, I will say, and not just because I'm talking to you, Joe, but I can't tell you how many times I said, wow, Lehigh really prepared me well, because there were so many times I was the only woman in the room in my career. Um, including in 2015, when I began as the first female CEO of a big four accounting and consulting firm. And what a better training ground than Lehigh back when I went, when I was the 10th class of women. So I think it's amazing now we're celebrating 50 years of of women co-education. Did you realize it in real time when you went to Deloitte, you know, right out of, right out of school or when you landed there, did you feel prepared? Yeah, and I tell people like you, you don't necessarily have to have been a division one college athlete to learn that competitiveness, to learn the agility, to learn the ability to think quickly on your feet. I think basically what I've been told throughout my career is like, Kathy, you will throw you in any room with any tough client situation because you have the ability to think quickly on your feet. And where do you learn that? Lehigh University. You was, know, like yeah. was that, that was that was that your secret? That was my, well, that's what I was told. So every time I had a performance evaluation, you know, they'd be like, oh, check, you've got the technical, oh, check, you you know, this, but like you think quickly on your feet. So if a client asks you a question that you're not prepared for, you've, you've actually prepared. And I have a great sports analogy for this. And I think it was something Muffett, Coach McGraw taught us back when, you know, she was tough, right? Because she didn't want to lose. And, and one of the things she taught us is like, and I've been using this all the time, I probably said it in my commencement speech at Lehigh a couple of years ago, but like be your best in your ordinary moments because then you'll be great in your extraordinary ones. And what that meant in sports was like practice, practice foul shots, practice, practice, practice. So that when it's the fourth quarter and you're on the foul line down by one and you have two shots and you're exhausted, your muscle memory will kick in because you practice so much. And in business, that means prepare. Kathy, women leaders at the highest level. I mean, you know, you were the first uh, woman CEO of one of the big accounting firms, right? Was that baggage you had to carry into the boardroom uh, or, or in front of uh, other Deloitte employees or in front of clients? Was was that pressure for you to be the first? Yeah, I wouldn't say pressure. I, I would say, you know, I was really surprised when I was named back in, um, well, I knew back in 2014, but named in February of 2015. Now, this is like 2015. I've been working for 29 years at that time, 28 years for Deloitte. Like, so for me, you know, like, look at all the CEOs of the big tech companies. They're 27, 28 years old, Mark Zuckerberg and their CEOs. So for me, I was like, I've worked really hard for this. So I was kind of shocked at how novel it was. Um, And I've always said, like, we need to move from novelty to norm about women being appointed to these big leadership roles. And not everybody can be a CEO. I was blessed with good timing, a good background, hard work. 
Um, and so I never felt like, well, I definitely didn't get this because I was a woman, but yeah, it happens to be. And I think one of our prior CEOs said like, happens to be she was most qualified for the role and she happened to be a woman. So no, I never felt that pressure, but there are definitely biases in society against women leaders, um, you know, and you're obviously one of only a few back then. I think it was like 4% of the Fortune 500 were female leaders and obviously even less people of color. So, you know, that's why, you know, I, I kind of taken up this, um, you know, in, women's empowerment project called the Commissioner of the WNBA because I said, like, I want these women to have the same opportunities that I had um, when I became, and look, it was hard. I mean, it was not always easy to be the only woman in the room. And I have plenty of stories where, you know, I had to learn about how to use my voice in the right moments and, and how to lead and how, and, but, you know, and again, because I played sports, I don't know what it was in this male dominated world I grew up in. I, I got a lot of cred. Yeah. I got a lot of credibility because I played sports. People said, you played division one basketball and lacrosse. And, and now I play golf and I played tennis in high school and still play here and there. And so I think sports does help like, yeah, but again, not everybody has, has to play sports as a leader, but the, the data is unmistakable that girls who stay in sports, at least through high school, you look at the CEOs today, all of them played some level of organized sports through at least high school. And um, because it gives you that confidence and that's what it did for me, Joe, confidence. And how, how did you, you mentioned, you know, the being the commissioner and first commissioner of WNBA, how did that transition from Deloitte to WNBA, um, how, how did that come about? I mean, you, you certainly didn't uh, wake up one day and decide yourself, <laughs> I'm going to be the you know, commissioner of the WNBA. So how, like, how, where did that opportunity come from? Definitely not. Never thought in a million years I'd be the commissioner of the WM of a major women, actually the only women, major women's professional sports league to be around over two decades. We just finished our 25th season. I think, you know, and this is a good lesson to those that are looking around how to lead in, in the future. You know, I was nearing the end of my term. So at Deloitte, you actually have a term um, as CEO and I was nearing the end of it and I was thinking about my next step. And you know what? I wrote three things down on a piece of paper. So this is a pretty simple advice because I was like all over the place. Maybe I'd be a university president, maybe, you know, a non-for-profit, run a big non-for-profit, maybe, uh, you know, maybe be another CEO of a big public company or, you know, a CFO because I had the finance background. But um, and I wrote three things down. I said, I want to do something different. I wanted something with a broad women's leadership platform. And I wanted something that I had a passion for. And I had a friend who had left Deloitte to become the vice president of um, basketball operations. What a great job at the NBA. And he kept calling me saying, Kathy, I have the perfect next act for you. And I said, what is it? And he said, commissioner of the WNBA. And I said, nope. I go, no, like, I'm not qualified for that. I'm like, I played college basketball, but I've never been in sports. And, you know, and, and but then I went back to those three things I wrote on the piece of paper, something different, broad women's leadership platform and something I had a passion for. And given my dad was drafted by the Detroit Pistons in 1957, and you come to the NBA, WNBA offices and all over the place, are basketballs and basketball nets and papa shots and they're playing legendary basketball games that I grew up with on the the speakers here and so you just like surround and I go I was mesmerized by it now I don't even look at that stuff but when I first came over to interview with the commissioner of the NBA Adam Silver I was like wow this is like this is where I want to work um you know and check like something different definitely something broad women's leadership platform like much broader than I ever imagined 
And then I love the game of basketball. So I could watch like, you know, we play 300 games a year. I could watch every one of them. So. And, and you take over as commissioner and, and uh, I believe uh, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the first things you faced earlier on was a, was a player, was a contract negotiation. Is that right? Was that early in your tenure? Oh, one of the four f- days. Four days. So you walk <laughs> in and the players, and you and, the, and then you're in a contract negotiation right, uh, right from, right from the jump. Yep. So the players were unhappy. They had lost the league, had lost trust with them over the course of many years. And I came in four days into the job. I didn't know a player. I didn't know an owner. I didn't know any of the lawyers. And they're like, you're going to fly to Las Vegas because the WNBA All-Star Game was happening towards the end of July of 2019. You're going to fly to Vegas and you're going to be in your first collective bargaining meeting. And I didn't know anybody. I'm not kidding you. Four days. I just retired from Deloitte two weeks earlier, four days. And I'm like, wow, um, the players don't trust us. But I listened. The one thing I learned when you don't know people and haven't had a chance to build relationships listen a lot don't say a whole lot don't act like i'm the ceo from deloitte that knows everything because i just ran a firm of a hundred thousand people and you're 144 players how hard can this be nope none of that it was listen 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 and what i what i figured out is like everything they wanted i wanted for them like i was a collegiate athlete i wasn't a professional athlete because there was no WNBA, nor would i have been good enough probably but but like this is I wanted all these things for the players. I wanted them to get paid more. I wanted them to have full maternity leave. I wanted them to have travel benefits, um, you know, that were closer to what the men get. But, you know, what I then quickly realized is we didn't have an economic model to support it and we had to build one. So and I knew when I took the job, I mean, I knew there was a transformation that needed to happen. What I didn't know is um, how hard women's sports is to lift um the how how hard the economic model is because there's there's inherent biases in the system against women especially women's team sports women individual sports like tennis Tennis, and golf do a little better but team sports really hard to build marketing icons and look when i came in we were only in our 23rd year i guess it was and what i didn't know is we hit a global pandemic affecting live sports significantly and then a racial justice crisis yes in the middle of a divisive political time with a general election so uh wow i i had no idea that's what we were going to hit but yeah collective bargaining that was job one when i first walked in the door go-getters is proud to recognize lehigh women as part of soaring together a celebration of 50 years of co-education The celebration showcases students, faculty, and staff who are making a difference in our world. It also highlights ways you can elevate Lehigh women through your support of networking and mentorship opportunities, financial aid and scholarships, experiential learning, research, and so much more. Find out how you can make a difference for today's Lehigh women at lehigh.edu slash soaring together. Let me ask you about the pandemic. I've heard you... um, Talk about a wobble, and I'd be. And for those that aren't aware, if you could talk about the wobble for our audience, and 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 a little bit about what that might be. The wobble was actually affectionately termed the wobble by the players because the NBA had their bubble in Orlando. We decided to have, and we did an enormous amount of scenario planning because for us, a league of our size and scale, we were supposed to start in May, so we weren't in the middle. The NBA was in seventy-five percent through their season. We were supposed to start in May. And, um, but I knew a league of our size and scale, if we did not have a season, the one thing I knew is we'd probably be out of business. Um, Cause you can't be out of the sports landscape for 20 months. You just can't. And, you know, maybe we would plot along now, but 
Um, now revisionist history can can look back that we did have a season highly successful in a bubble 92 days in Bradenton, Florida at IMG Academy because we wanted to pick, you know, like I grew up at Lehigh, right? We wanted to pick an environment where the players would feel safe because we were building trust with them that they weren't going to be exposed to too much outside COVID um, because you never can have a true bubble because you need hotel workers and people right. making your food and DoorDash delivering food, you know, because we weren't allowed to go to a CVS, a Walmart, a restaurant, anything. We were in a bubble at IMG Academy. It's like a college campus uh, and it worked. We didn't have one, not one positive COVID case the entire time. We got through the 92 days, crowned the Seattle Storm with their fourth championship. And um, and it really set the stage for a ton of momentum coming into our 25th season, which we just finished crowning Chicago as a first time champion, the Chicago Sky. So, yeah, the wobble was quite an experience. And I was there um, all 92 uh, days, in 92 days and then handed out that trophy and was never so happy to get home and see my kids. It was a huge opportunity to build uh, trust with the players and we kept them safe in a very uncertain environment. And then because we're a league, Joe, of 80% women of color, the players, um, you know, George Floyd happens. And now the players don't want to play because they're bigger than basketball. And they ended up devoting the season to the Say Her Name um, campaign, Black Lives Matter. But Say Her Name was about the female victims who were voiceless of police brutality and um and we built their trust by supporting them and amplifying what they wanted to do there we established something called the social justice council that um has emerged today as a leader that now social justice experts seek out the WNBA players on the social justice council so i, I couldn't be more proud of what we did in that bubble but it was the hardest i've ever worked in now 36 years <laughs> and it's uh, interesting for me to hear you talk about supporting the league and the players on the court and off the court, right? Every, every time I've heard you you speak, Kathy, you talk about the importance of supporting the whole enterprise and the whole experience that these these women have. You, you you've I've heard you say before about this eight year, uh, eight you know eight year average average career, um, but yes. yet but yet their connection to WNBA will will last. Not, not uh, you know uh, for the rest of their lives, right? It's not dissimilar from when we think about our alumni, right? People, are, folks are alums forever, and and I'm I'm interested in your thoughts on that continuum. How do you think about how do you work with the league on the on the continuum of their engagement and connection uh, and affiliation with the WNBA? You know, really, just like you said, the average tenure of a WNBA player is one of the first questions I walked in and asked was eight years and and you have to actually to be drafted into the WNBA from the US university system you have to be 22 by the end of the calendar year in which you get drafted so so 99.9% of our players are college graduates and they're really smart so they come in really smart but if the average tenure of a WNBA player is eight years then they're 30 and Joe now what do they do for the next 30 years so it was important to me to build that trust so that players would want to build their skill sets and capabilities. And the one thing I can bring to them is not, they're already great, great athletes, uh, the best at their craft in the world, but maybe I can bring a little business savvy to say, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur or if you want to get into coaching or broadcasting, or if you want to start your own business and we have players that are doing that, or if you're a mom and you're balancing children and this career, you just happen to be a professional athlete, you know, here's how we want to help you. Um, and so that's a work in progress because we wanted them to do internships. And we've got partners, um, sponsors who really want to take WNBA players as, in as interns. 
um, and, and programs like at, um, you know, some of our players uh, from our Indiana team, uh, Anthem sponsored them, Anthem, the healthcare company, sponsored them to go through a program at Indiana University called Athlete to Advocate. So these players aren't social justice strategists or experts. They need to figure out how to advocate for the values that are important to them. And, and it sounds that, uh, you know, given you're acknowledging 144 players, all uh, all represented across any continuum, every aspect of any continuum, that part of your strategy is to have the league be available to almost meet them where they are at the time that, that they begin thinking about some transition post post. Right. Uh, and that's I, the yeah. frustrating part for me, Joe, because I want them to do it now. Right. But many of them are, you know, our average age is probably, I don't know, 24, yeah. 25 years old. And they don't see that they need that in 10 years. I see it because I came from there, but they don't see it. So I want them all to do it now. But you're right. You've yeah. got to step back and say when they are ready and they realize that their talent is being you know, usurped by the next generation of athlete, they'll figure it out and then they'll come. Hopefully we'll, we've set the trust that they'll come to us. Uh, Kathy, you, you recently made a, a very generous gift to Lehigh Athletics for the LEAD program. It stands for Leadership, Empowerment, Athletics, and Distinction. And that, that program will have uh, your name on it. Uh, it's a personal and professional program that will help our students and student athletes learn to navigate life after graduation. Is that important to you because of our previous conversation about thinking about the WNBA or what, what, what was the motivation for making a gift like that to Lehigh at this time? Yeah, a couple things. One, I was very blessed with an amazing career for a long time at Deloitte and giving back should be part of when you become successful because you've graduated from a university like Lehigh, you need to say they're part of the reason. So, and, and I, and I have been a huge hiring manager for many years of young men and women. And I do see a gap with young women in their confidence, um, no matter what university they're coming out of. And um, I see them not raising their hands to achieve their full leadership potential. And so, you know, I worked with the athletic department at Lehigh on this program to have what I call like a scholars program that maybe in 10, 20 years, when one of them becomes a CEO somewhere, they look back and they said, look, one of the things that helped me was, you know, I was in this, you know, lead scholars program at Lehigh that differentiated me when I came out to really thrive in the business world or the government world or whatever world they end up in. So um, and there's so many reasons um, business leaders and executives and you talked about it. They love former athletes, too. Um, and I've seen it firsthand in my career, but I, I do see a confidence gap with women and, and there'll be a male cohort as part of the lead program as well. But um, I, I just see so much potential when I look out and, you know, if I come to speak with the Lehigh basketball team or I just actually was at my high school and the, the girls basketball team walked in and they're just they're they're not confident. And I'm sure if the boys basketball team walked in, they'd be shooting hoops with me. But the girls were all like in the corner and. And I'm kind of looking at them like, you know, raise your hand, tell me a little about yourself. I'm a person too, you know, and I went to this high school and, and went on to much success at Lehigh. So um, I think there's just, I, my hope for the program is that um, it is, you know, while Lehigh really gives you that well-rounded academic education, this does a little bit more to empower them to be, to see themselves as the next generation of leaders. And, and that's what I hope with a bend on the athletes there, but again, 
uh, open to with a cohort group, um, you know, but I'm really excited about it. And again, this was part of giving back. And um, like I said, you know, having this women's empowerment platform that I do have now at the WNBA, um, I think, you know, I always wanted to do something to give back to Lehigh and what it did for me. So this is it. So this is the start of it. Anyway. Well, thank you. And, and let me ask you back to something you mentioned earlier. Is this, is it, is it a path uh, to, to do better on the novelty to norm framework that you mentioned earlier? Does it start with these kind of experiences for young women? That's exactly right. You couldn't have articulated that better. You know, we, I, I see a lot of optimism at lower levels in management out in the, the corporate world for the next generation of women leaders. And, but I, I want them to feel like they're empowered to do that and to raise their hand because the number one thing I don't see, and I, I used to have positions open at Deloitte and like nine men would knock on my door and no women. And I'm like, wait, I'm, a, I'm the first woman CEO. Why aren't the women walking in and raising their hands? So this is this will be a lot about instilling confidence that even though sometimes the women can't see what's ahead, that they should have the confidence to raise their hand and do things that are maybe different or stretch uh, roles, assignments. and. And so it's all about confidence. Um, it's never about capability. It's about confidence to build your capability. But I know these women have the capability. They just don't know to ask for it. And I don't know if it's a societal thing, but this is to shake that up a little bit and, and show, you know, show that like I, I was them before I became me now and I am still them. Uh, and that uh, you can accomplish a lot if you have a lot of confidence. Uh, I have one one final question for you that that I do ask all of our guests. It's not uh, not an original question. I actually stole it from another podcast that I listened to, so I'm not going to take any original credit for it. But um, I get great answers for it, and so I will I will ask you this, Kathy. Is there anything that you know for sure? Um, wow, today's environment. What a great question because it does seem like there's a lot like we don't know for sure um but you know the one thing i know for sure your family will always support you if you always do the right thing so and and i talk about sometimes the right thing is a lot harder than the wrong thing and you got to choose the harder right not the easier wrong so uh and you'll always get the support from your true friends and certainly your family um if you do the right thing and and there's a lot of times when a lot of companies are being led by spreadsheets and costs and you know, they lose sight of the right thing. So this one thing for sure, if you do the right thing, the cream always rises to the top. Well said. Uh, Kathy, Engelbert, Kathy Engelbert, current commissioner of WNBA and class of 1986 here at Lehigh. Thank you for being with us on the Go-Getters podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you, Joe. Stay safe. This has been Go-Getters, a podcast from Lehigh University, hosted by Joe Buck, Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations. I'm Sue Troyan, head coach for Lehigh Women's Basketball. Our program is grateful for the continued support that Kathy provides to our student athletes and are excited for the distinctive impact that her Lead Scholars program will have in the leadership development of our women at Lehigh. Special thanks to producer Janet Norwood, media production specialist Jarrett Brown, and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. Go inside the episode at lehigh.edu backslash go-getters to learn more about Kathy Engelbert, the WNBA, and the new league program in Lehigh Athletics. Don't forget to subscribe to Go-Getters on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. And take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so other listeners can find us.